Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. The word of the Lord says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As you remember, we've been going through this passage over the last couple of weeks. And in this particular passage, uh, what we are looking at is what the Apostle Paul is speaking to and uh, sharing about what is kind of this logical sequence of getting from being sent out of the local church in order uh, to help bring others uh, to faith. We've talked about that a few times over the last couple of weeks. He's asking in verses 14 and 15 a series of questions and uh, we, we mentioned how those questions are kind of best put in sequence. If you kind of start from verse 15 at the bottom and sort of work your way uh, through. And that brings us to kind of that, that logical sequence, which is when one is sent, they will preach. When they preach, others will hear. When others hear, they will believe. And when others believe, they will call on the Lord in faith. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the need to be sent, be sent from a local church, even in a vocational uh, type of way. And we see that the New Testament was this sending church. We were sending, uh, the New Testament was sending out people uh, to share and to preach uh, the gospel. We talked about what that meant in terms of preaching in our workplaces, in the school, from our homes, as we're on the street. That heralding of the message that Jesus saves to everyone that we encounter in school, at home, uh, in, again, in the workplace. And this week, we'll focus on the aspect of hearing and believing, hearing and believing. I can remember when I was a young boy that at times my mother would correct me and she would instruct me in the way to do something or the proper way to do something. And sometimes she would say, do you hear me? Maybe she may grab me by the shoulder and say, do you hear me? It wasn't that she wondered if I actually heard the vibration against my eardrum, it was, did she know that I had in my mind understood what she had just instructed me to do? I do the same thing with my own children. Seth, do not drive fast. Do you hear me? Ethan, pick up your room. Do you hear me? Isaiah, no sneaking ice cream. Do you hear me? When we're asking if someone hears us, we're not really asking if they heard the sound of our voices. We're asking if they understood, believed, and acted upon what was said. Now, if we've spent any length of time together, uh, you have probably come to understand that my actual hearing is not the best. I haven't 
heard well ever since I can remember. I actually always have a ringing in my ears. And I can recall being in ninth grade science class and doing an experiment where there was some equipment generating kind of one of those high-pitched sounds, and I was the only one in my class that could not hear it. For me, sometimes I have to ask a person a couple times what they have said. Sometimes, particularly when the kids have been little, I'll ask, and I don't quite get it, and I'll say, what did you say? What did you say? And they'll finally say, I said... It's not necessarily that I need people to be louder. Sometimes it's just be a little slower in what you say. But hearing and understanding is an important aspect of communication. It's been reported that out of an estimated 250 to 300 million deaf people in the world, only 2% of them are Christians. 98% of deaf people will miss out on the blessing of eternal life with Jesus in heaven if someone doesn't share the message of hope with them. They are among the largest unreached people groups in the world. The Bible talks about hearing a lot. In the Old Testament, God hears his people's groaning when they're in trouble. He also hears their grumbling against him. God hears His people's prayers, it's emphasized more than 50 times in the book of Psalms alone that God hears our prayers when we cry out to him. Never doubt that God hears and listens to your prayers. In contrast, the Old Testament indicates that idols have physical ears but cannot hear at all. The prophets frequently call on Israel to hear the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4, says that he was caught up to the third heaven. I'm not quite sure how to theologically explain that to you. But he said when he was caught up in that place, he heard inexpressible things. Jesus healed the deaf so that they could hear that the kingdom of God had come near them. John 5 and 25 tells us that the dead will hear Jesus' voice and rise from the grave. In Scripture, we're able to clearly see that some have ears to hear and some do not have ears to hear. God even accuses his people when they refuse to use their ears to listen to him. In Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, which is again quoted in Matthew 13, 14 and 15 in Acts 28, 26 through 27. So it comes back again and again and again. Jesus, before and after his resurrection, calls on people who have spiritual ears to use them to hear what he says. Scripture clearly gives a distinction between simply hearing words and hearing and believing what those words mean. Brings us back to our text in Romans 10 and 14. How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? So churches have to send out preachers, all of us, to preach the gospel so that others will hear. But it's not simply hearing that gets the job done. It's hearing and believing. The action on the part of the preacher to preach the message of hope 
but there's also action on the part of the hearer to hear and then believe what is being preached. And if we're to think about the tactics of the enemy to come between hearing and then hearing and believing, acting, the enemy wants to come in and he wants to cut off. He doesn't care if you hear, but what he wants to do is bring a dividing line between what you hear and then what you believe and act on. So if we want to look at where the battle rages in spiritual warfare, this is one of the places because there's a spiritual battle for our hearing and our believing. Romans 10 and 17 says that faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. Faith is actualized by hearing the gospel, which has come through the Lord Jesus Christ. If we look in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus in that chapter is tempted by Satan. He had been baptized. He had been in the wilderness with the Spirit of God, the Scripture says. He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He knew the plan of God. He had heard from his Father. He had listened. He had believed what God had called, what God had called him to do. And the enemy comes in at that moment against Jesus from the point of hearing and acting and moving. But Jesus had not actualized the plan of God in terms of moving toward. This was the very first thing that happened as he begins to minister uh, uh, in that day. He's led out in the wilderness and he's tempted. An attack of the enemy before the miracles and the cross and the preaching and all those things happen. An intersection to stop it. And the enemy says to him, if you are the son of God, turn stones to bread. If you are the Son of God, perform a miraculous feat by casting yourself off the top of the pinnacle of the temple. The enemy says, God has said all the kingdoms of the earth will be subjugated to you. Worship me, and I will make it happen now without the cross. So understand the tactic of the enemy. God gives a plan. God gives a vision. God speaks. You hear. The enemy wants to come in between hearing and believing in action. If I can have my brethren help me uh, to uh, set up for the next illustration. Even in the beginning, in Genesis, with Adam and Eve, the enemy sought to bring confusion. God spoke, but the enemy says, did God really say? You see, there is a spiritual battle that is happening to confuse what God speaks so that we do not hear and believe. The battle is twofold, often to keep us from hearing, and two, to confuse what we hear. Now, I venture to say that when Sister Autumn was giving her announcement, that some of you were a bit frustrated with me. For having headphones in my ears and looking at a phone while she was giving her announcement. Did I hear what she said? I heard what she said, but it sounded like Charlie Brown's parents. Womp, 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 womp. Why? 
because my ears were being filled with something else. My mind was being drawn away to something else. And so this is the battle in our culture. Culture is battling for your hearing and for your hearing and action. One more thing. If you, brethren, will bring that television up, please. Just set it right over here on this side, please. So I want you to think about the battle in our day between what goes on, particularly in our, and I'm not picking on you, but particularly in our younger generation, and it impacts the older generation as well. Think about what is happening in our day. I was on a college campus a few months ago, and I'd stopped at a four-way stop, and student after student after student after student passed just like this. Just like this. Do you know how many people, when they walk by someone, they said, hey, how you doing? What's up with you today? Not a one. One after the other. One after the other. One after the other. Thank you, brethren. That's good. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to try to, you're going to picture this as a living room, okay? I'm just going to put it back because I don't want to block the view. Nicole, come sit with me because I like to sit on the couch with you. <laughs> no, I want you to think about how some homes happen. God's trying to speak. We've done our Bible study together this morning. Or she's read her word, I've read my word, and now it's just time for us to sit back and watch a movie. She's getting her things together, trying to get a grocery list. I'm uh, maybe studying or doing something else. We set our computers out. Now we're going to sit back and we're going to watch a movie. Now, here's what I'm doing as I'm sitting here. And I'm not, take, all, take, take this as far as you want to take it. But I'm opening a window in my house to Hollywood, California. I'm pulling the shades up in my house, and I'm sitting here with my wife, who God's called me to leave my home. And so I've made a choice. I want to open that window to Hollywood, California. And my children, who are young and impressionable, are seeing my wife and I. And again, I'm not immune to this. I'm not acting like I've got this all to set up. But seeing my wife and I with all of these devices, bringing Hollywood, California, and their values into my home. I'm opening the shades of the window, and I'm bringing it in my home. And what we all know is that we're able to hear, but when it's visual, those things that we see don't leave our brain. And so I'm opening the window, and Hollywood's values are coming in. And back when Back when I was a boy, uh, I can remember watching Andy Griffith. I can remember, no, that was still, they were in reruns then. But I can remember watching Lucy. I can remember watching the Beverly. 
uh, hillbillies, and they were so funny, you know? They were so funny. And I look back, sometimes I think, well, they're okay for my kids to watch, but I think about my young boys watching Ellie Mae. I do. I remember, from my memory, Dukes of Hazard was a great show. I won't let my kids watch it today. Because I'm bringing, and it starts subtly. Little by little. It's okay to hear a little bit of language. It's not the real bad words. I'm not using the real bad words. Um, you know, it's not, it's not the bad stuff. It's just action flicks and shooting people up. That's all I'm watching. I'm hearing the news, and the news announcer is talking to us uh, when we watch the news and we sit back or we're flipping through the news, and the news guy is, uh, is talking to us about how wonderful it is that June is Pride Month, and we're going to celebrate all relationships. And Nicole and I are against it. It makes us upset, but we're not going to say anything about it. I'm opening the window. God is speaking, but can God speak to you? Through all of this, are you going to hear him when we are in a society that more and more says this is the way to live? This is the way to live. These are the way to live. This is the way to live. More and more and more. Thank you. Our culture and our society. See, it used to be your TV sat in your house and your phone sat in your house. Now, we have all of these devices that are streaming everything, and we would get away from it. We would walk outside the house, and we'd get in our car, and we wouldn't have any screens or anything else, and now they're everywhere. We stop at a stoplight. We're in the grocery store. I'm in Lowe's trying to find what I need. I'm not talking to anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I might get in a conversation. I am in a hurry, and I'm working it out, trying to find what I need. Can I hear God speaking? And if I'm hearing God speaking, will I act on what God says? Because everything that these screens are telling me, when I'm looking to what the world is putting out, everything these screens are telling me is that the beliefs of Scripture are archaic and or hateful. Now, you can say, well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe that in all these conspiracy theory things that this is... Con no, what I want you to believe is that there is a spiritual battle going on, and it's particularly going on for the minds of young people. Open our eyes for what's going on in our day because no one wants them to hear and specifically not to hear and believe and act. I was talking with my son and daughter last night. I said, it's going to become more and more like you and I are going to have to live like the Amish. And we can laugh and say, well, that's foolish. And that's a, we're going to be so different. Because the world is living in such a way that it's trying to stop up everybody's ears that they're not hearing the message of hope. And if they don't hear, they can't believe. 
No, I'm not here to shame anyone. I've got a phone. I've got a television in my house. I have a computer that I work on. I'm not here to shame you, but what I am here to say is that everything that seems to be coming through those screens right now is telling us that this is not right. Now, I watched a clip of someone who was asking the question. No, that's on video. And it asked the question, what is a woman? What is a woman? You know, in our day, I believe, I've not bought one, but I've heard through the news, that Vanity Fair has a pregnant man on its cover. Now, is that true? Ask our society. You remember the old saying, Mark and Mary, you're from California. You remember the old saying, as goes California, so goes the nation. I remember my mother saying, California's going to fall off into the ocean because of the sinfulness. But we bring it right in our house. Say, welcome. Have actually, have the central spot in our home. Have the central place in our home. We welcome your values in our house. We welcome your ideas of gender and sexuality in our house. And we think that our children won't pick it up. My daughter took the SAT on Saturday. The SAT was scheduled in Albemarle High School. When she walked in the front doors, I don't know if she may have been there once before for another uh, test or something like that. We homeschooled. When she walked in the front doors, rainbow flags were ablaze, and it wasn't to celebrate Noah. Now, you think that's okay. We got to learn to live in it. We got to learn to exist in it. We got to learn to be a part of it. I'm telling you, they're coming for our children. I say our children. And they're trying to draw a wedge between the action that God wants as we hear what he is speaking and act upon what he says. And that same clip, there were some people who went to, uh, a gentleman who went to uh, Africa. And he asked some tribal people, Brother Johan, you're going on a mission trip, you and Sister Lita here in a few weeks to Africa. I think it'd be interesting for you to try this exact same thing. Go to some of those places in Africa that you visit and ask them, can a man be a woman? Will they laugh at you? <laughs> and we want to say they're the unlearned. But if we flip just a little bit back in uh, the book of Romans, if you go to uh, chapter 1, it says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator 
the worshiping themselves. So what we have to come now to understand is it's not just a bunch of different people who believe a bunch of different things. It's two entire worldview systems that are at war with one another. The scriptures, Christianity, the Bible, and the world. Satan, the prince and power of the air. There is a war that is happening. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the, and were served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, second time, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, to listen to God any longer, to hear and obey God any longer, third time, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, there are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, this isn't that people are un, they don't know what God's doing, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So culture reaches through these screens and begins to share and articulate a worldview which is different from the worldview that is espoused by Scripture. So I've seen interviews with individuals who say that if a child as young as two or three years old is confused about their identity, we ought to give them puberty blockers. And it's totally reversible. Just give them some more time when they get ready to reach puberty. Give them some more time to think through who they should be. And the primary medicine that they give is medicine that's used to castrate people. Why would that be the case? Because there is a world system that is aligned against biblical values, which all the way back in the book of Genesis, what does it say to a family to do? Adam and Eve, what were they to do in the earth? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Bring more people into the world that praise God. Bring more people into the earth that lift up his holy name. And what do all of these perversions bring but a reduction of children? Now get on the plane and fly over to China. And look at the damage that has been done by the one-child policy. They've lifted up on that a little bit because they've had to now. But look at the damage that has been done by the one-child policy. 
girls were almost universally extinguished because they weren't seen as valuable. So if a woman got pregnant and found out it was a girl, normally they were aborted or they were left out to die after they were born. So you have a high level of men with a very small level of women in order to build a family with. And so now the women that do exist are able to say, I get my pick. I want the wealthy one. I want the one that's going to take care of me. And all of the other guys have no one. You're the farmer. You're the poor guy. You're the guy without being able to secure uh, any kind of resources for yourself. You're left out on the side. I've Friends of ours who have gone to China a couple times in order uh, to adopt, what they will tell you is when you get off the plane, what you see oftentimes is very men who are very feminized. Interesting, isn't it? What happens in our culture when we sidestep the biblical values that God is calling us to? And I will say to you today, As a church, we can continue to come together and we can continue to preach the word and it will not return to God void. We can continue to do the work of the church, but unless we recognize the spiritual battle that we are fighting and we seek to rescue that next generation so that there is not so much noise around them that they're hearing everything else except for thus saith the Lord and there's not a space for them. I wonder, Sadie, caught you off guard? Why do they say you can't have a phone out there? Why do they not want you to have electronics out there? Somebody realize what's going on. Somebody realize that when a young lady who's 14 years old is on fire for the Lord and wants to do something for Jesus, that when she can be set out and set forth onto the mission field, if the noise is diminished and the gospel is increased, that something mighty can happen for Jesus. brother and our sister mentioned as part of communion and part of offering that today is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost celebrates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gift that God had given to the church, the boldness in order to witness and the gift of the Holy Spirit through the speaking of tongues. If you go back in to the book of Genesis, sharing, we were sharing some uh, in, a, in a little prayer retreat this weekend the Tower of Babel, all the languages are confused. God, man's heart is darkened. God confuses uh, the languages. And what happens on the day of Pentecost? God gifts the church back with a holy spiritual language that the church is speaking the praises unto God, not in different languages. Although we hear in the book of Acts, again, whether it was a, a, a miracle of hearing or a miracle of speaking, they're all speaking the same things together, praises and glorification unto God. The curse of Babel now had come back in one unified praise unto Jesus. 
And what was the church doing prior to the miracle of Pentecost? Praying, seeking, listening. There's a spiritual battle that's coming against us, and we better recognize the battle. We best recognize the battle. And this church has to be a place where we are going to seek to rescue children from the heat of the battle. What that looks like right now, I'm not entirely sure, but we better be praying about it. We better be praying about it. Because the culture of the prince of the air, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the enemy, Satan, is seeking to steal the next generation. Spiritual battle. Scripture tells us as well that we're held accountable for what we hear, even if we're not listening. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching. It says a crowd has gathered. He got into the boat and he sat down and there was a crowd by the sea and there at the beach. And it says he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depths of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. He was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are, key word, outside, they get everything in parables so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they may re return and be forgiven. Well, how many of you think that is a very curious statement? Doesn't Jesus want the whole world to hear? Doesn't Jesus want everybody's eyes to be opened? Why wouldn't he just say what he means instead of speaking in a parable? He says, to you, the mystery of the kingdom has been given. But to those who are outside, they get everything in parables. They may see and not perceive. They may hear and not understand. What I think is the key difference in all of those who were there and the few who came and asked questions is it says, as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the 12, so apparently a smaller group of people, began coming and asking him about the parables. And then he begins to explain to them. Those who are outside only get it in parables, but you who are in fellowship with Jesus are given the mystery of the kingdom. It was the disciples who asked Jesus about the parables. Others just kind of mirrored them. Hmm, that's an interesting teaching, Jesus. Kind of cool stuff you're talking about. 
But there were some whose heart was motivated to dig in and to not just hear, but also to understand and to act. They were in fellowship with Jesus and interested in what he had to say. Yet those who were outside were still held accountable for what they heard and what they did not understand because they did not ask. They were not seeking. They were not knocking. They were not asking. The same parable that Luke records in Luke 8 says, The seeds on good soil are those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, cling to it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So we have to move from just hearing to believing. And the scripture tells us there are aspects to that. One who has a good heart, transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, hearing the true word of God, putting ourselves in a place to truly hear God's voice and not to always hear all of the noise and all of the chatter of everything else around us. There's so much noise that wants to keep you from hearing God's word. There's so much noise that wants to keep you from meditating upon the promises of God and grasping them and believing them. When we have a question about Scripture, are we more apt to go to Google and ask it or pray to God? When we open the window to Hollywood... And I'm not saying every single thing is better. There's some good Christian stuff out there. But what I am saying is you better watch it. You better be careful. We better think about pulling the shades up and welcoming what's in Hollywood into our living room. There might come a day when you and I have to take what my mom called the one-eyed devil and get rid of it. Because it's speaking to us. It's speaking. This is speaking. These are speaking to us. They're telling us who we should be. They're telling us how we should act. Our culture is moving in a direction where I, would, I believe in just a few years you're going to find that marriage will be archaic. People will wonder what marriage is even for. What does it even mean? What's the purpose of it? You know, I'm all for people going and getting married. You want to get married on the beach. You want to get married in a barn. That's great. I think you need to have the church there with you. <laughs> because there's something about God's people being together and seeing what God is doing in someone else's life. There's something about the church being united together, but our culture is changing so rapidly. Hear me, hear the warning I'm giving to us as a people, what I'm warning myself, what I'm warning my kids. We've got to be at a place where you and I are looking with eyes wide open what is going on. God's calling us to produce crop, clinging to the word of God, not wavering from God's word, not being drawn away by the noise that seeks to pull us at every single moment. Producing a crop, the scripture says in Luke chapter 8, persevering and producing a crop for the kingdom of the Lord. 
we want and desire a revival in Charlottesville, I want to be clear, it doesn't come by our own might and our own power, but God is looking for those who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. The Spirit of the Lord is searching, so there is some kind of mysterious way that happens between God's sovereignty coming in and interacting with our hunger and our thirst after the things of God. But when we're feasting on all this, are we really hungry anymore? Are we hungry or do we give lip service to it? Let's stand together and pray. The word of the Lord says to us this morning that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. The word of the Lord speaks to us this morning. That it is a time of change. It is a time of transition. He is calling our church. He is calling us as a people to earnestly seek him. To give up those things which are hindering our walk with him. To set aside the things which impede our hearing, to move away from the things which prevent us from acting upon his word. God is speaking to us. To him be praised this morning. To him be praised. To him be praised this morning. To him be praised. Worship the Lord this morning. Let's lift up our voices and hands and praise to him. Let's thank him. Yes, Lord Jesus. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God. Help us, O oh God, for the day in which we find ourselves. Help us, O oh God, to look and to see, O oh God, what is happening. To look and to see, God, what is being brought against your people. To take up, Lord, the weapons of faith.
to fight the good fight, to persevere for your glory, O oh Jesus. Help us, O oh God. When the wise have become foolish, Jesus, we pray in this moment that you will help us as your people. Give us vision, God. Teach us to hear your voice. To obey what you are calling us to, O oh God. The enemy is ravaging the people of our land. He is destroying lives systematically, oh God. And the gospel is the only answer. We don't put our hope in politics. We don't put our hope in government. We don't put our hope in human institutions. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. And God, as your faithful servants, help us to hear and act upon your promises. There must be a change. There must be a change. We have to evaluate what we're doing. We have to evaluate where we're spending our time. If we could see an army advancing against us, if we could hear the sound of missiles in the distance, if we could see the carnage of war, we would act. We would think, what's the most important thing? We would cry out to God, God, help me. God, save my children. God, help us. But because we don't see it with the natural eye, we think it doesn't exist. We think there's not a battle happening. And yet your word speaks to us and your word tells us that the battle in the spiritual realm is more real than any battle in the physical realm. So how much more should our hearts be? God, save us. God, protect our children. God, raise up another generation. God, don't let the enemy come against us. The enemy is sly, he is not omnipotent, he is not omniscient, he doesn't know everything, he doesn't have the greatest amount of power, but he is an observer of human nature. And the tactics have not changed. Can you really believe what God says? God, help us who have ears to hear, to listen. You're asking us today, I've commanded you in my word. Do you hear me? Help us to hear you, to listen and to obey. We thank you, God, this morning for the grace which you have shown us. 
If you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus, you're not in a relationship with him, right in this moment, right at this very moment, your heart knows. Your heart knows. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to come. Come to the front. Let someone help you find the Lord in your life. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to come. you don't know Jesus, I want you to come. The rest of us, no lengthy altar call. No lengthy time here, but evaluate. It's not just movies, not just news, not just articles, but it's infiltrating everything, everything. Evaluate, look, watch, keep your eyes in the Word. Keep your ear listening to Jesus. Be drawn away to him. Come in his presence. The Lord went in the wilderness before the ministry, before his ministry was was active in its active phase. He was in the wilderness fasting and seeking. If God Almighty finds himself in the wilderness to hear from the Father, why shouldn't we? If Jesus was often drawn away in the midnight hour, in prayer and supplication and seeking the Lord. Why shouldn't we? He's our example, our example. God, help us today as your people to seek you earnestly, O God, to stand firm upon your word, to raise up a next generation who is equipped with the tools of the gospel to push Back, Lord, against the gates of hell. As the military trains and develops, they put them through training sometimes that is grueling and intense. As a church, how much more should we do it? Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing before you're seated in just a moment. I want to lead us in a, a song of praise to the Lord here in just a moment. I had the privilege in 2009 to uh, sit with a group of parents who were looking to start a classical Christian school. And I didn't know a whole lot about classical Christian education at the time, but I, uh, I had to study it, and I went to some conferences. And there was a couple people uh, that I began to learn. One is uh, Vody Bauckham. Some of you heard uh, of Vody Bauckham, who was a preacher of the gospel, uh, leads a seminary in, uh, I think, Tanzania right now. Uh, another was Doug Wilson, who uh, helped to kind of launch out the classical Christian school movement in our day. I forget which one was speaking, 
they're talking about the history of education. And right here in Charlottesville, if you go to, to UVA, you were to graduate from UVA, one of the things that uh, you would say is, I went to a liberal arts school. I went to a liberal arts college. And the idea of a liberal arts college is that you're going to be exposed to a lot of different things. You're going to be exposed to sciences and math and technology and theology. This is the way it originally was, theology, and all sorts of ways in order to teach you how to think. That was the goal of a liberal arts education to teach you how to think. How do you think through what you're seeing in the culture? How do you think through society? How do you think through uh, the word of the Lord? To teach your brain how to think. That's one idea. That's what liberal arts education used to be. And now what do we do? Why do we put someone through college? We put them through college so you can do what? Get a job and make money. So it's no longer to think, it is to get a job. We're not teaching people to think, we're just teaching them, okay, if you can just learn these skills, that's the skills that you all, that's all you need to make good money and have a good life. So there was the, the liberal arts education centuries ago, Greeks and Romans, then there was another type of education, and that was the education of the slave. Now, what did the slave need to know? The slave didn't need to know how to think. The slave needed to know how to make bricks. That's all you need to know. We'll start you at a very young age. Make bricks. How to tend a crop. Just do that. That's all you have. You don't have to think. Just do it. And our culture has come in such a way that liberal arts education has flipped into a singular path, how to get a job, not how to think. Liberal arts comes from the word liber, free, the education of the free man, to think. But our culture has flipped it on top of its head when you have someone sitting and they're talking who has a Ph.D. And you're talking to the person in front of you and you're saying, well, okay, what is a woman? And they can't tell you. And yes, it's funny, but it is ridiculous. And there's people who will shake their head. Yes, I, I agree. If you believe that you're that, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. And it's not okay for our kids. There has to be a change, and we can't be drawn along with it. We have to begin to teach how to think. God has given us the faculty of a mind. It's not all intellectual. I get it. It's not all intellectual. He speaks to us in our emotions. He speaks to us in our intellect. He speaks to us through other ways as well. But our brain has to think and understand. Do you believe? God is calling us 
We can't sit around any longer, come together and walk out and come together and walk out and not see a change. I want for my family, I don't want one of them lost. I don't want one of them lost. And yes, it's the sovereignty of God at work in their heart. I can't save them. But I will do everything that I can to create an environment where they'll hear his voice. Last thing, Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At the right time, Galatians 4.4, at the right time, God sent forth his son. People say, don't shelter your kids. Don't shelter your kids. They got to be out there and be witnesses and be evangelists for the gospel. At the right time, Galatians 4.4 says, God sent forth his son. I say, this is not original to me. Someone else shared it. I thought it was excellent. You go out in some of the farmland community, you're going to see a greenhouse. What does a farmer do? He'll plant a seed in a pot in the greenhouse. And he'll water it at the right time. He'll feed it at the right time. He puts the seed in the pot in the greenhouse. He protects it from all the elements on the outside. He protects it from the storms that come and the lightning and the wind because it's a tender plant. And the wind comes too strong, the wind's going to break it. Or there's animals that are going to come and bite it off at the root. So he protects it in the greenhouse. He protects it and he puts it there and he cares for it and he gives it the right amount of light and he gives it the right temperature and he gives it the right amount of water and he gives it the right amount of food and he watches it and he looks at it and he's inspecting it day by day and caring for it. And Galatians 4.4, at the right time, he puts it in his garden to produce much fruit. Protecting, shielding, caring for, developing, training, keeping it together at the right time it gets set out. Fit for the kingdom. Let's sing.